0: I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew, chapter 27. And as you turn there, we're finishing up a three-part series entitled, Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life. This title comes from Jesus' own words as he was preparing his disciples for the eventual death that he was going to experience. He sought to bring comfort to them. And in John 14, as he was sharing a last meal with them and speaking with them, he assured them that he was going to prepare a place for his followers, for all who would believe in him. He said, "I, I wouldn't be telling you that if it wasn't true. And you know the way I'm going. And Thomas said, how do we know the way? And Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. As we heard that, we've said before, and we'll say it again this morning, that is an absolutely unique claim. Jesus did not say that he had heard about a way and that he wanted to share that way with other people. He did not say that he had come to learn some truth. He happened to attend the best universities that were around and he could share that truth with other people or that he had discovered the secret to life and, again, was just willing to pass it on. Many people claim to know a way to success, a truth that is out there, or a way to live better. But Jesus' claim was unique because he identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. When we looked at that on Friday, we said, wouldn't that be interesting to hear from someone if you could just imagine someone coming up to you that you don't know, and they would say to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How taken aback you would be by someone, how quickly you might want to move on and talk to someone else, because what kind of a person would dare to say such things? But Jesus said it, and so we wanted to break apart each one of those statements that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and consider them more in light of Scripture. And now as we gather on this Resurrection Sunday, we look at the life that he has promised to be for each and every one of us. I don't want to presume too much. Easter is a a great time of celebration. We might celebrate it all for different reasons. Thankfully, the winter is going away and spring is upon us, and that's something worth celebrating. Some of you have been off of school last week. You're going to be off of school next week. You're able to travel and be with family. And so it's just a a good time to be together with people, and we celebrate that. Some of you, like me, have seen things in stores that uh, strike your appetite, and you enjoy those Reese's peanut butter cup eggs and jelly beans or whatever it is, and you just enjoy the time. But we don't want to presume that simply because we're all here, we understand the same things <clears throat> about why we celebrate and what we're celebrating. So we, <clears throat> our desire, if you will, is to go back to the basics. What are we talking about at Easter time? What is the world talking about? Because as we gather here this morning, people are gathered all over the world celebrating the truth of this resurrection. When it comes to the life of Jesus, there are a few basic claims which almost everyone can agree to whether they believe in Jesus or not that Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago, that in his life he claimed some things about himself, one of them being that he was God in the flesh. We get that from claims like in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He was tried and accused of a crime, found innocent, and then executed by a Roman form of corporal punishment known as crucifixion. Now, if you were listening closely, there was a little bit of a bump there. He was accused of a crime, found innocent, and executed. Usually in a court of law, if you're found innocent, you're then not punished for the crime that you're being accused of. But for Jesus, he was tried, found innocent, and still executed. After he was executed, he was buried. And three days after he was buried, his tomb was empty. These are things you can accept just as a matter of history that doesn't necessarily identify you as a believer or not a believer. The question is, why was the tomb empty? This person who was accused of a crime and found innocent, then crucified, then buried, now his tomb is empty, why is his Tomb empty. And this is where we then see whether or not we are believers. As Christians, we believe that the tomb was empty because he rose again. But some say to us, no, his disciples, who couldn't handle the fact that he died though he was innocent, simply stole his body away. And so we can't find it because they couldn't handle what they experienced. And so they took his body and fabricated a religion of their own choosing. Or some will tell us, actually, he wasn't born, he he lived and died, and all these things are fine to believe, but only as sort of a myth or a story that we can be inspired by, but not actual events in history. But not everybody has the same perspective on why the tomb was empty. This isn't simply a phenomenon now, this was true back then. And so we go to Matthew 28 to not only learn about this empty tomb, but to see how different people responded to the reality that was before them. And so we'll begin in verse 62. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. Next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, Here, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing, white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. He has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Hopefully now in the reading of this you can see the different ways in which people approach this reality of the resurrection. After this innocent man Jesus had been executed for crimes he had not committed. The next day the Pharisees come before Pilate and they remember something that he said. And they remember it with pretty good accuracy. He said that while he was still alive, after three days, he would rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. They hear this truth about Jesus. And again, instead of coming to it and saying, let's see, let's wait three days. I mean, let's at least give him that. We've accused him of something he hasn't done. We actually got Pilate to go along with what we were trying to make happen. Why don't we see if he is who he said he was? But they don't come with an open mind to the claims of Jesus. So that it's possible to be a closed-minded unbeliever, if you will. Oftentimes, we who are believers are described as the ones who aren't open-minded. We aren't open-minded to facts and history. To learning about other religions. But here we have this very clear example of the Pharisees who've heard the words but come to the situation and the events, and they're very close minded. No desire to investigate, no desire to learn, only a desire to make it more difficult. And so they've heard the words of Jesus himself. They've encountered him. They've experienced him. They've seen his miracles. Now they've seen his crucifixion. They've seen how even in his crucifixion, he didn't revile them. He never cursed them. He never pleaded for another path, but submitted to the road that was before him. And in all of these things, as they witnessed them, their hearts never changed. Their desire to follow Jesus never changed. And then we see Pilate who on Friday we said, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He only came to Jerusalem around festival time. His responsibility was to keep the peace among the people. And so when the Pharisees had brought Jesus to him and accused him of something, his desire the entire time was simply to prevent a larger conflict from spewing forth. He wasn't interested in the claims of Jesus either. He was there, if you will, hoping to be on vacation just trying to keep the peace and when he saw that there was a whole mob of people desiring the death of this one man he gave in and said better for this one person to die than for all these people to maybe lead a revolution and so here Pilate hearing these words himself as well does not say I guess let's give it a couple days let's see if he will be able to fulfill the words he said before he died But again, in a dismissive way, just wanting to be over with it. I don't want to be here. I want to get back to my hometown. I don't know how I somehow got involved in all of this. And so here, take a group of guards and go deal with it on your own. Isn't that interesting? Pilate as well had the opportunity to interact with Jesus, to question Jesus. He heard from Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would have been fighting so that I would not have been delivered over. He declared Jesus innocent three times. He knew that he was putting an innocent person to death and yet he has no desire to wait around and to see the result. He's one of those, if you will, he just got invited, he was visiting family, they said they were going to church, he felt like he had to be appropriate and just show up, but he's not interested in being here and just wants to get going as fast as possible just trying to keep the peace. And then as our story turns to the 28th chapter, we see these women come to the tomb. It doesn't give us too much description into why they come, but we see this longing and a desire to be where Jesus is. We don't know if they were anticipating and coming with just hearts full of faith, expecting to see the resurrection But they come, and behold, there was an earthquake. An angel of the Lord came, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But to the women, the angel said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, that he's risen from the dead, that as these women come and all the sorrow that they've experienced in the last few hours, wondering what would be of their Savior, of their Lord, and now to get the good news and to get it in such a dramatic way, they walk away with both fear and joy, awe and excitement over what's happened. And they want to go quickly to tell others, the truth that they've seen, and then they encounter the risen Lord himself. And he says to them, go. And where do they have to go? They have to go to the disciples. Why? Where are the disciples? They're not waiting. They're not there at the tomb just waiting to see what's about to happen. They've heard the words themselves. But none of them know what to make with what they'd experienced just hours and days before. They'd been following Jesus for three years, believing in his word, seeing his miracles, trusting in him. But still could not all the way up until the end fathom what truly was going to happen. And now someone has to go to them to tell them the good news of the resurrection. And then there's these guards that are standing at the tomb. They see exactly what the women see and what does it say of them in verse 11? And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they'd assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers to tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. Again, isn't that such an interesting part of the story? They've seen it for themselves. They're not hearing it secondhand from anybody else. They were there along with the women to hear what the angel had said. And instead of going like the women to share the good news, they go and tell the officials and the chief priests all that had taken place. And for just enough money, they're willing to be quiet about it. And again, isn't the response of the chief priest interesting? They hear the story. They had set the tomb, they had set the stone, they set the guards hoping to do whatever they could do to maybe prevent the reality they were fearful about. And when they get the news that they were not able via the stone or via the guards to prevent what God was doing in Christ, again, their hearts are not broken to say, Maybe we should stop fighting against this. Maybe we should surrender to this. Maybe we should believe that he is who he said he was. And so it reveals something that later James would write about, that even the devils believe. (laughs) That often what separates us is not those of us who are willing to believe in the truth that we read in scripture and those who don't, but those of us who are willing to surrender to what we believe, to commit to it. Because if what we believe and what we see is something that challenges our status, our stature, our authority, and our power, even when we can come to believe it, we'll reject it. Because we don't want to accept and embrace something that challenges us, that asks of us to change that asks our authority to diminish so that Christ's authority could be increased. And that's what we have with these chief priests. You couldn't have an apologetic debate with them and go through the proofs of why Jesus is who he said he is. They knew that. They didn't come to this situation open-minded to hear why Jesus was who he said he was. They came with closed hearts. And so no evidence, no proof could persuade them otherwise, and they left with closed hearts. And for Pilate, he was only here for a time, just looking to, to sign in and to sign out. As soon as he could be gone to more important things, didn't make time to investigate the truths that were before him. Just wanted to appease any problems that he saw arising. And so as we read through this story and as we see all of the different characters that we find present, we have to place ourselves somewhere. Who would we have been in this story? Would we have been those open to Christ, but confused by all of the events that had transpired and when the good news had come, we would accept it and embrace it and follow him for the rest of our lives? Or would we have been like the Pharisees? No evidence and no proof could change our minds because we didn't want our own world changed. We didn't want our own authority or power or whatever we had challenged. And so no proof could persuade us or would we have been like a pilot? We're just too busy to care. I submit to you that the resurrection is the most important truth of the Christian faith. And it's something that I hope and pray you don't come to and say you're too busy to really consider. That you just hope somebody else deals with it, somebody else cares about it, somebody else comes to whatever their convictions are. But again, you're just here on a weekend happening to be with family and you don't even know why you're here. But even if that's the case coming in, I pray and ask that you would consider taking a moment to look deeper, to see and to ask whatever questions you can and to see if there are any questions you ask of it that cannot be answered, that cannot be demonstrated through history, through time, and through the testimony of these scriptures. Because believing in Jesus and submitting to him is not simply a matter of the mind, but it's a matter of the heart. And some of us come with a hard heart closed off to to new insight or new information about Jesus because we don't want to believe not because we can't believe and if that's true for you today then I ask that you too would bring whatever those issues are that create that hardness that unwillingness to listen to even pay attention to anything that's said to today begin to walk through those things that would prevent you from hearing, that would prevent you from listening and enjoying the very things that you see. So that when you come to the resurrection, you wouldn't walk away with a closed heart or with an indifferent heart, but that you would be like these women at the tomb who when they saw and they got the news that he's not here and he's risen as he said, that you could come and see the place that you would walk away with the The fear, which is not a a fear of intimidation, but a fear of awe and wonder and then great joy. Because as we come to this event, we not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as something historical, and we say, great, something good happened for him. But what does that mean for you and for me? But if he raised from the dead then he proved true the claims that he made. And so I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. That when we now see that he has risen, that what he said about himself in dying and resurrecting was proven true, then we look back on all the other words that he said, and we believe that he will fulfill those words as well, that they are true. And starting in verse 27 of chapter 10, Jesus said these words My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out. Of the Father's hand I and the Father are one these words these promises of Jesus that we who believe in him we who know his voice and who follow after him will not simply celebrate the resurrection that he experienced but that we will also experience a resurrection that he offers through his power, that he will grant to each and every one of his followers eternal life that will never perish. And that's why Easter is such a celebration for all of us who are believers, for all of us who don't come and we're just too busy to consider it, or we're just indifferent, or we don't want Jesus to challenge our preconceived notions and commitments and our own positions of power. But when we surrender to the truth that we see in the resurrection, that he conquered the grave, that he has risen to new life, we celebrate that he offers that life to each and every one of us. And all of these things are recorded as John writes later in his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, we come back to the unique claim that Jesus made, that he is the way, the truth, and the life and as we've seen his humble entrance into a city on a donkey, as we saw his humble surrender to a crucifixion, when he was guilty of nothing, and now as we saw today, as he rose again, just as he'd said, in spite of the attempts of other people to try to prevent it and to twist and change the story, he has proved true the claim that he has made, He is the way, the truth, and the life. The question for us is whether we have embraced his way, his truth, and his life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have so much to celebrate, that we don't look on a past event, at something that was experienced by someone else that has no connection to us today. But as we're gathered here, you extend to each and every one of us the promise of eternal life. Life that will never end. A life that death cannot avoid us, cannot prevent us from experiencing. Father, we pray that you would help all of us as we come to consider if we come with closed hearts bitter at things that have happened not unable to believe but unwilling to believe and we pray that through your spirit you would speak to each and every one of us that this Sunday would be a celebration yes of your life but also of ours in Jesus name we pray amen